Welcome back to Square Horror. I'm your Duke bum, of Spook, bum, Danny. Bum, 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 Danny, it's the Olympics, and it's Saw 6. <laughs> there are six Olympic rings, right? Or eight? Nine? I don't know. I, don't I was looking into it the other day when I was writing out uh, the outline for the next movie, and I was thinking, like, hmm, there's something to this. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's something, something there. Maybe it's just because <laughs> I'm thinking everything in terms of Saw because of this series, but like, yeah, it's like even the Olympics yeah. are spared from uh, from the Saw from, from the, the games. games. That, bum, that's bum, it. Bum. There it is. It's the games. There it is. That you, that's you what you it did. is. Thank you. Thank you so much for backing me up. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Yeah. So Saw Six. We're getting into Saw Six to uh, this week. Um, this is. Uh, I mean, I would like to say that we're almost done, but we aren't. <laughs> um, we're not. We got three more to go. This is a very interesting one. point in the series, though. And we're gonna get into that, uh, absolutely. But um, before we get into this, uh, I just want to say that I've, um, in my days of just doing nothing after I get home from work, uh, I will throw like Seinfeld on any episodes I could just find free online in places, and. Um, mm-hmm. Tobin Bell was in an episode of Seinfeld uh, that I saw him in. Uh, Hell yeah. He's playing a dude who works at a record store. Um, but I think it's funny that he's nice. in Seinfeld uh, as some character. And uh, his name in Saw is John Kramer because there is a Cosmo Kramer in Seinfeld that is amusing to me. Hell yeah. Anyway, are you ready to get into this? <laughs> Let's do this. Let's All talk right. Saw 6. Welcome to the beginning of the end, friends. After five years, at least in real-life years, the end of the game is in sight. With Strom, the seemingly only hope of justice, dead, and Hoffman secretly perched to usher in a new and exceptionally brutal era as Jigsaw Games Master, it seems that the bad guys have won. But... Hoffman's title may not be as secure as he would like to believe. As seemingly airtight as his frame job of Strom was, it appears that the FBI has begun to suspect that the hidden Jigsaw accomplice is still among them. Along, for, along with the startling developments in the Hoffman storyline, Saw 6 graces us with a grimier, cruder approach to how it handles the trap violence. Saw 6, I would contend, is the most intense, bloodiest, and most unapologetic and America to match the movie's brutality, the sixth Saw film demands your respect as the game comes full circle. Danny, thoughts? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I don't know where it is on your outline, but I oh, love no. it. Oh, no. So I've actually, I don't, I, uh, <laughs> I send you the outline before I write the intro so that you don't, you don't see it. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, yeah, that's so fun. I, I end up converting it to a Word document so that I can print it out so I can read it. And uh, that's okay. when I write my outline, or when I write the introduction, and I, it's a secret. <laughs> I love it. I love it being a secret because that was a really good yeah, I one it was too. Okay. Uh, I truly was like, I don't know what I could say about this one that hasn't already been said, um, other than that it's objectively the most intense, brutal, gory saw movie 
Uh, at least until Spiral. <laughs> yeah. Like, six Oof. goes there. It, uh, like, out of yeah, nowhere. Six doesn't really pull it, many it punches. Out, it goes there out of nowhere. Uh, it's... Uh, oh, oh, boy. Okay, so production notes. Uh, this time, obviously, we changed director's last movie. We had uh, the former... Um, he was like the scene... Uh, the, the the art department, like head of the art department or something like that. Um, okay. God, I can't fucking remember. I think it, maybe he was like the editor or something. But this time, uh, it's Kevin Grutert. Grutert. Gru? Grutert. Kevin. Kevin served as Saw's Kevin. editor since the beginning. He hasn't helmed a lot of films in the past, but he did edit all of the previous iterations of the franchise. So, kind of like the last guy, they just chose someone who'd been around long enough that could direct it while everyone else just kind of, while the movie just kind of ran itself. Yeah, Did their absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, though, this guy, who wasn't a director, he was an editor, because he was such a good-ass editor, uh, he, you know, that translated really well into directing. Uh According mm-hmm. to one guy, uh, he I think he was a producer or something, he said that he ran a taut, tice, consent, concise web of terror and surprise. So obviously as an editor, you're already looking to just try to make things as streamlined or cut in a certain way as possible. So if you're also the director, or you are the director, you know, you could just do all of that whenever you want. Like, you know, there's nobody mm-hmm. stopping you. Um... The scoring, writing, producing credits for the sixth Saw film I wrote here are the same for the previous six Saw films. Uh, obviously, with the exception of the writers, Marcus Dunson and Patrick Melton have coming in in four, but this is their, like, kind of the end of their trilogy that they pitched with Saw 4 through 6. So this is kind of what they were writing as mm-hmm. their ending, which we'll get into in a second why I think that's a little odd that they chose to end it the way they did. Um, but it's also mm-hmm. David A. Armstrong's last hurrah as cinematographer. Uh, he's been involved since, I think, at least Saw 2. Uh, but he said he thinks visually Saw 6 might be his favorite. Uh, and in the interview I saw, he went on to gleefully discuss how each trap looked, how like how it just looked so awesome. Uh, it was just all around very <laughs> wholesome. But he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, man, and when the lights come up on that carousel trap, so cool. He really so was cool. just like, yeah, it was really awesome. Uh, <laughs> so Melton, Patrick Melton, one of the two writers, uh, said that the film had good pacing and a resolution uh, for the series. I don't, I, I, yeah, I, I don't understand how it was a resolution at all. Um, I can kind of see yeah. the bones of it, but no, I don't know. I was like, unless the script is real different from what we and, ended and up like, seeing, the thing, I don't really think I of this as a resolution. Find, like, you know, that it was the sort of thing where they, they wrote an ending and then they're like, oh, surprise, make another movie. Like, they straight mm. up just set up another movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, Kevin, director, uh, commented that Saw 6 would have some finality to it, something he always wanted to see in the movies. Again, like... So the directors and the writers both agree that this is like a good finale and then proceed to not make not a finale, which is, again, it's not a problem. It's just, you know, yeah, I just thought it was strange that they went into it thinking that way. 
Yeah. It's just an odd yeah. choice. <laughs> but, um, let's see. Grutert commented that uh, CC would have some failing. Yeah, he said that most characters, um, most of this would have the most characters uh, in a Saw movie to date. There would be, like, you know, most people on the screen, which is strange because I would consider, like, three or four to be the most crowded. Um, I think it is this No, it, one, it definitely is now, thinking about it. Um, but I think it's just because you can't tell because they're all written well. Like, they all have some sort of, mm-hmm. like, weight to them that, that draws you into that. Uh, yeah. But... He reassured the writers would stay tuned to previous storylines to prevent any violations of logic and chronology, which I think is fun that, again, they have their writers very adherent to a very specific set of rules. Um, mm-hmm. But in during the early planning stage for the scripts, initially this was their idea for finality, uh, they were suggested that Detective Hoffman... Uh, in his role as the Jigsaw protege, should take on the Mafia due to his vigilante modus operandi. Okay. Isn't that a little odd for Saw? That's that's real weird. The idea was quickly dismissed as uh, not feeling Saw enough and more like the Punisher, which is exactly correct. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, that makes a lot (laughs) more sense. You gotta hit right on the money. It's like, no, it's not really a... It's more of, a, more of the Punisher, that's, that's right? something else. <laughs> uh, so here was the only thing that I could find as a, that came as a surprise to the crew. Is that Lionsgate told uh, Kevin Grutert about a week before the filming that Saw 6 would be post-converted into 3D. Uh, this was in that in that age, in like the mid-2000s, where like that was still kind of... like They were trying to bring it back because Avatar made it popular for like another second. So... Ugh. Avatar. Uh, the director was upset because he envisioned the film as like a 2D, you know, aesthetically, uh, which was good because plans were later abandoned due to time restraints. Uh, but good. obviously, the next movie they did, but they made it. Se- saw seven, saw 3D, which, is, which means that the first thing on the table when they were talking the la- the next Saw movie was that before anything else, the first note on top of the pile was that it had to be in 3D. Mm-hmm. Not that I feel like the movie suffers for that. It doesn't go out of its way to do shit in 3D. I think that one th- aspect of the movie suffers because of the 3D, but we'll get into that okay. next yeah. week. Uh, so the film was released by Lionsgate uh, in the U.S. on October 23rd, 2009. This is like the... Because ho- it's not Halloween. No. This is like the height Saw. of Saw's you know, cultural impact... Um, I just have a quick little anecdote about uh, the release in Spain. In Spain, it was the first uh, film to receive a Pelicula X rating for violence. Uh, The rating normally is reserved for pornographic films. (laughs) So, after the producers had the offensive content edited out, they released it a year later. So... That means that there's another cut of Saw 6 out there somewhere that is, you know, appropriate according to the Spanish government. 
I'd be really intrigued to see that cut of Saw I would love if none of the violence was cut out. It was just like kind of like what Russia and China do is like they just cut out different story beats because they're like anti their ideals. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be so funny if they were just like in Spain. They're like, I don't think that prostitutes are very like conservatively like right wing for whatever Spanish is. So just cut out any mention of prostitutes, but keep all of the horrible death. <laughs> so with a gross recipient of $14 million on its opening weekend, Saw 6 placed second. Again, another second movie to place second its opening weekend. But it placed second to Paranormal Activity, which opened to $21 million. Mm-hmm. Paranormal Activity fucking exploded. It was extremely popular. Well, yeah, that was the big thing of 2009 in the horror world, was Paranormal Activity with this brand new... Or not brand new, but the revisit yeah. to the found footage and genre, which then stuck around for about uh-huh. a decade. And we'll get into it eventually when we start talking more Blumhouse or even Paranormal Activity itself. But, you know, the the creators of Saw and the creators of Paranormal Activity would go on to create Blumhouse together and make, you know, Insidious and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Um, so it's right around this time. So it's kind of like... The old in and the new combining to make the future of horror. Which once we when we do talk yeah. about Blumhouse and like the history, it will be very fascinating because they come from like perfect stock to make horror movies. You know, oh, uh, yeah. like all the ingredients are there. Um. So <laughs> when I was checking out this movie, um, initially it was uh, like it was like talking about all the grosses and whatnot. So Sausix went on to gross $68 million worldwide. Uh, the amount of money the Joker stole from the Gotham mob in the Dark Knight, coincidentally. Uh, anyway, so this <laughs> the second, sorry, this lowest grossing Saw film to date. That was the big thing. So three was the highest and six is the lowest. Um, however, because of the small budgets, it you know still makes money so they can make the next movie. Now, when I was looking up this movie, it had a whole section about its soundtrack, and it had a lot more than these mm-hmm. Saw movies normally do, and I thought it was kind of amusing. Uh, so, obviously, Saw has, you know, ties to, you know, industrial metal, hard rock, sort of that t- sort of music genre, uh, and ha- kind of has been since the beginning. Um, but the author of this article seemed to think that this movie was like the first horror movie to ever do this. Uh, so in their breakdown, they go through it and they say, you know, the soundtrack includes 18 tracks separated by three parts. So like the album has like three sections and it's like chances, lessons mm-hmm. and choices. And I'm like, this is this is edgy. Uh, each has six songs and includes <laughs> three bonus tracks. Uh, the author, by the way, is this guy, James Christopher Monger, uh, of a magazine or a site called All Music. And I, it, in my mind, it just makes me really laugh to imagine him as just, like, a suburban dad who was told to, like, listen to this album. And he's like, I actually kind of like this metal music. It's kind of cool. And, like, so I'm imagining <laughs> him, like, saying all of these things. So just keep that in mind with this quote. Uh, so, so he praised the use of hard rock and heavy metal music, uh, something that he claimed had been missing since Saw 4. Uh, and he said in his review that, quote, It's a fitting marriage, as hard rock and heavy metal are the sonic suitors to horror and torture films and video games. 
he uh, pr- he particularly liked this. <laughs> he goes on to list his favorite songs. Um, he particularly liked the songs by Hatebreed, Converge, uh, Kitty, and My My Misfire, calling those songs in particular, quote, the most ferocious moments this time around. It is so much better it's, if you just imagine that this is a suburban, like, mid-40s dad who just was like, oh, I'm working for all music. Oh, you want me to listen to this? Okay. okay. Oh. So, and, and for the listeners Hell who yeah. may not really get it, it, this is all, like, the crazy thrash industrial metal that, like, you go to the gym and just, like, plug in and, like, tune out to. Like, this is that mm. type of music, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, it's hard for it to be, like, you know, especially good and, like, stand out as good, especially yeah. for, like, a movie soundtrack. So I just think the entire section is fun because they're just like, ooh, metal. And I'm like, all right, yeah, like, it, it's just entertaining. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so around this time, speaking of its popularity, this is where they had the Halloween Horror Nights maze, uh, Saw Game Over. Um, so I know you know you've made it as a horror franchise, especially in the eyes of Universal, if uh, your franchise has a uh, maze at Halloween Horror Nights, and you can imagine. Well, yeah, like this year, the big one is um, they're doing a yeah. Haunting of Hill House maze, which I'm very I think it'll by. just be like they'll have asked for your like counseling records and they're just going to torture you with your bad decisions and your like broken relationships. <laughs> oh man. It's going to be really, you know what? I actually would dig that. I think it'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. But you know, that's me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> there's a, this is also when we get to talk about saw the ride. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Saw the ride. It's a, so, you know, some franchises get TV shows, some get, you know, the horror mazes, and some get roller coasters. Theme park so rides. opening in March of 2009, so it was during the making of Saw 6, uh, in Thorpe Park in Surrey, England, that's in the United Kingdom. The So mm-hmm. I, I found a lot about this ride, and I'm going to, if you'll all indulge me, I'll describe why this ride sounds like it would actually also be amazing to go see. Yeah. The exterior queue line consists of mock razor wire fences and various props that resemble torture elements from the films. Walkie-talkie recordings of panicked policemen inside the building are played for guests waiting in line. Loud ambient music is played throughout the area. The queue travels around the back of a warehouse and then into the building. Inside, riders walk through a dimly lit corridor with four shotguns hanging from the ceiling. The guns fire every few minutes to give a jump effect. The corridor leads to some stairs past a cage with a trap, the rack from Saw 3. This is like Disney World caliber shit. Like, this is like intricate theming. This is all out. Traveling up the stairs, Billy the Puppet can be seen and heard on TV monitors at certain times explaining the rules of the ride. Uh, above the queue, a body is seen dangling in barbed wire, referencing the first film. Uh, before the queue goes into the station, here mannequin parts are fixed in various small devices or hanging from walls. Uh, misted windows flash on the wall opposite the queue. So they just, they're just freaking the fuck out of you with a bunch of saw imagery. Before so cool. you get on the ride. When you're on the ride, 
there's an initial encounter with Billy, the puppet, who explains the experience ahead. Riders then approach two dimly lit swinging pendulum blades, which appear to get closer before a surprise hidden drop that is nearly vertical, it's 100 degrees, uh, seemingly plunging them directly into wow. a pit of strobe lit spikes. Uh, air blasts then fire out at riders imitating the firing of syringes, loaded crossbows, uh, which appear to miss riders overhead. They get sprayed with water to imitate blood. That's and I just so have this cool. last bit that's fucking so cool. Before entering, the, so all that happens, then you get into the big lift hill. Riders pass by two video screens and a digital timer counting down to zero. When it reaches zero, Billy appears on screen and says they've failed. And that's, you know, the famous catchphrase, game over. The lift hill then engages the trains, which gradu gradually accelerate as they ascend. After reaching the top, they dive down the 100-degree drop. Uh, after all that is done, you know, there's, like, at the end of the ride, there's this video from Billy playing at the end of the stairs. There's, like, a bunch more mannequins. Um, they have the uh, jigsaw severed head on the weighing scale, like the poster from Saw 4. Yeah. Um, so when this thing opened in in uh, March of 2009, it was scheduled to be launched by a group of celebrities, including Darren Lynn Bowsman, uh, who posted an account of his experience on his Facebook profile. The day, however, was That's a so disaster. So the ride experienced a delay, uh, a barrier shutdown, and a uh, a stop. It had a couple stops. Um, the park officials blamed uh, computer programming as an error. Uh, an ambulance was also called when a woman suffered a panic attack. Ooh, so, yikes. I feel like they went a little too hardcore on that. <laughs> Man, yeah. I've wanted to talk about Saw the Ride since the beginning. <laughs> Dude, I want to go to Me Thor too. Park just for Saw I the think Ride at this I'm point. I'm going to go on a tour of Europe to just do, like, um, the Disneyland at Paris like you like the, you're the Euro parks. Disney, like Disneyland Paris, wherever the hell is over there. Yeah, and, yeah. And that then do Disney this. Paris and Thorpe Park. Yeah, I've seen videos about this since before I got into Saw. When I was just really into roller yeah. coasters, I found a video for this, and I was like, I need yeah. it. Because like, not only is it like super Saw themed, the ride itself looks fucking awesome. Like as a roller coaster, it looks, so it looks really fun. cool. Like the car is also really mm -hmm. interesting. You don't see a car that looks like that very often. Yeah, the car reminds me of like the Dark Knight ride at Six Flags But a little bit longer and wider. With the, like, yeah, four it was, like four people and like yeah. longer. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we're, we'll figure out a way to go someday because I really do want to go. <laughs> One day we'll do it. We'll All right, do it. so let's get into the cast. Uh, Six has a lot yeah. of people I want to discuss. Um, so Costas Mandalore back at it again as Hoffman. And uh, I found actually a bit about uh, Costas talking about Hoffman. In his own words, he says Hoffman is sort of torn from becoming a madman or becoming a guy that's more composed, coming from a pure place like Jigsaw. That's my character's dilemma. Does he go fucking crazy? Or does he follow the rules of the boss? Like, his dilemma this movie mm. is, what does he do with all the power that he's just inherited? You know, is he going to, like, st yeah. stick to the message like John would have wanted? Or is he going to go, like, fucking, you know, Hoffman crazy? He's murder people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Betsy Russell does an even more nefarious job this movie, being Jill. Um, 
She's yeah. a really great semi-villain, and uh, she plays that shit really, really well. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Mark Ralston um, is a now rightfully suspicious uh, Agent Erickson. Um, there's yeah. also flashbacks that include Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith, um, and both of them are back. Like These are like new scenes that they're filming with them, so they're also, again, back doing the movie. Yeah. In terms of new people, uh, we're playing William Easton, who is the uh, insurance individual uh, that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. He's played by Peter Outerbridge. He was in a movie called Cool Runnings. He was in that with um, is that the yeah the Bob Bob's the movie? the Disney, not Disney Channel right Cool yes. Runnings. Yeah, what <laughs> with John Candy. Shit, he is in that movie. Yeah. Um, I haven't thought about that movie. In I was. Years. I actually had no idea that it was a Disney Channel movie, or like it was Disney movie in general. Yeah, I just thought it was like a '90s comedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was also in Silent Hill Revelations, the Silent Hill movie sequel. Um, he's also Black okay. Mask in the Batwoman show, which is pretty cool. Uh, he's also in the Umbrella Academy. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I would hope that you recognize him. He's also in the Taken, mm. uh, mo- like the television series, that, like the spinoff of the movie. He's also in uh, The okay. Expanse, that's on Prime. And he was in Orphan Black uh, with Tatiana Maslany, who's going to be the new She-Hulk. Okay. Um, most of that he did, with the exception of Cool Runnings, he did after Saw 6. So, like, he's working a lot mm-hmm. lately. Yeah. Which is good for him. Uh, playing the reporter Pamela Jenkins is uh, Samantha Lamole. Uh, a big credit, I guess. She's Claire in Legally Blonde, the movie. I don't, I don't remember. I've, I don't think I've ever actually I don't, seen that. So movie. I've seen the movie and I've seen the musical. I don't remember which one Claire is. Um, but I know it's not Reese Witherspoon. But she's in the movie, like nope. the you know. So she's clearly known from that. She's also yeah. in the uh, Nicolas Cage movie Mom and Dad, which. Uh, You'll have to check out someday because it's in that camp of weird Nicolas Cage horror movies that are actually really good. I love it. Um, speaking of which, uh, Zach says that we got to see Pig. I'm intrigued. I really want to see it, but he said it was really good, so I'm taking his word for it. Uh, also, right. playing Tara Abbott, who is the wife of the uh, man who is not covered. She's played by Shauna McDonald. Who is in eleven twenty two sixty three Hemlock Grove and Trailer Park Boys? <laughs> oh, and man. playing that guy Harold Abbott is um, George Newbern. Um, I think he's a big deal because uh, not only was he in Scandal, uh, Father of the Bride, um, he's also a big voice actor. Um, he's the English version of Sephiroth from the Final Fantasy games. And um, okay, yeah. he's Superman in pretty much everything since the Justice League show in, like, 2001. Like, going oh, through, wow. like, Injustice, um, you know, all the new cartoons, movies. Like, he's Superman mm-hmm. almost every single time. He's kind of like the Kevin Conroy of Superman. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool to learn that. 
Um, and playing his son, yeah. Brent, is Devin Bostick, who's uh, Roderick in Diary of a Wimpy Roderick kid. in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. So I've learned so much crazy shit about this kid in the last couple of days. Okay. Um, so he did Saw 6 the year before Diary of a Wimpy Kid, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Because everyone knows him from that, and he did this, like, right before that. So it's, like, peak Roderick-era look. So it looks just like him. Oh, yeah. Um, he's also in The 100, uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, to blow your minds, he's going to turn 30 this year. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was 20 when he made Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, my God. God. You want to know an even crazier fucking blow my mind fact I learned about him? Oh, His father is actor Joe Bostick. Uh, we may know him as the uh, creepy old pharmacist from the It remake. That's his dad. That's his dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. It's crazy, right? I mean, like, that's really yeah. cool. Well, clearly his dad I is not know. actually a pervy pharmacist. <laughs> well, yeah, but I just... Oh. Interesting. Yeah, it was just fun, because I was like, oh, you know, every now and then when they're like, oh, they're, they're you know, the kid of another actor, I look him up. Sometimes they're nobody, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like, oh, Jack Quaid. Yeah, it's like, yeah, my parents are Meg Ryan and uh, Dennis Quaid. And I'm like, oh, two enormously famous oh, movie stars? okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, the kid from Halloween 2018, I never remember his name, but his dad is um, uh, fucking Andy Dufresne from The Shawshank Redemption. Tim Robbins. Yeah. The, really? The, the kid who's... um. He's the boyfriend of, uh... Yeah, the shitty boyfriend. No, 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 he's uh, not the and, shitty boyfriend. And, he's the and, one that got murdered. Oh, he's the one who tried to hit on... And get some... No, 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 he, fence? So, you remember, um... Oh God, I can't remember her name. Uh, Lori's granddaughter. What's her yeah. Name? Yeah, but, so her... I can't remember yeah, her name. but her, fr- her friend, uh, who's babysitting that kid, her boyfriend that comes over... That kid, oh, okay, yeah, that yeah, guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's um, he's Tim Robbins' son. I don't remember what his name is though. Interesting. Anyways, that does it for cast. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we can get in the movie notes. So before we get started, uh, Matt made a goof. Matt made a saw mistake, <laughs> and uh, I need to <laughs> I need to confess it and apologize for it. So the post credit scene that I. Uh, mentioned with amanda and uh jeff and lynn's daughter uh i think i said it took it was i think i said it was in like three or four um Mm -hmm. it's not uh it's the end credit scene of saw six so uh yeah i was wrong (laughs) uh though although (laughs) what i did learn is that um so in that scene if you yeah in case you don't remember it is uh, Amanda going up to Corbett, which is the girl's name, and uh, telling her not to trust the man that would save her. Um, obviously, because of what happens in this movie, we're led to believe that this is how the FBI began to suspect that Hoffman was the Jigsaw accomplice. Um, originally, mm-hmm. it was just supposed to have the little girl singing You Are My Sunshine to herself, and then Amanda showing up and then singing with her. To comfort her, which is kind of creepy and sad, 
Uh, the scene had to be ch- yeah, yeah that's a lot sadder the scene had to be changed because production was unable to get the rights to the song you are my sunshine uh so as a result the audio of her singing to herself was taken out and uh it contains amanda telling her not to trust hoffman which um mm-hmm. it, so it it, it it you it was one scene that was just kind of sad and kind of creepy and then it was changed because they couldn't get the rights into something that like actually does a lot of explaining of what would have been a major plot hole. Yeah. So I'm glad that they did that. <laughs> so now we can get into it, and we can always start out Let's as nor as usual with the uh, cold open trap, which cold in this case is trap. the pound of flesh. Yeah, this is one of the real intense yeah, cold open traps um, for me. It's fucking really intense. It's, it's brutal. And you know what? It's bloody. Like, it's legitimately very yeah. bloody. Um, mm. I will say, and I, this also, I think, is appropriate at this point, but the whole movie is just a huge step up in intensity. Uh, and, like, just yeah. raw brutality. So, like, consider that a warning. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because, you know, with Hoffman, you know, with him as the, at the helm... With Hoffman comes more explicit brutality. You know, every trap is more visceral in its violence and its emotional responses on, from the victims. So not only are you going to see someone, yeah. you know, John would have killed them in a kind of almost artistic looking way. Um, but Hoffman, mm-hmm. it's just going to fucking kill you and kill you hard and kill you fucking dead. And you get to see yeah. the raw fucking terror or sadness on someone's face right when they just saw someone get fucking killed in front of them that way. Six is mm-hmm. really in your face about the violence and what it does to people. So I just will say, yeah. keep that in mind going into this movie. It fucking doesn't pull any punches whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, also, noting note to note about this cold open trap, so it has um, two individuals who were uh, predatory bankers. Um, they would loan mm-hmm. out people money that they knew they couldn't pay back. You know, it's kind of this is 2009. So it's right after the um, Great Recession, uh, which was kind of mm-hmm. mostly on the backs of these predatory loan loaner type people. So it kind of is being yeah. saw as being a little bit topical that way. But it has these individuals wearing kind of head, you know, helmet devices that have screws that will screw into mm-hmm. their temples after a specific length of time um yeah and uh. so that is the your goal is to not get killed by that and how you don't get killed by that yeah is you have to feed a scale uh that you can feed you know pieces of something uh into to weigh mm-hmm. it down so that if you are the one you know who has the most weight on the scale the screws don't kill you. You survive. Now, what do you put on the uh, scale, Danny? Uh, Perhaps a, as the name would imply, a pound of flesh. So you could put any part you want. You could kind of cut off part of your stomach if you're an overweight gentleman, like the guy in the trap is. Or, Or if you're you're a fucking really intense woman. Yeah, if you're a fucking winner. Who's... Yeah, you... Chop your arm off at the elbow and give that in. And she wins, and she wins fucking hardcore. So why I uh, think that she's super interesting um, 
there was a TV reality show called Scream Queens that aired in uh, 2008 on VH1 back in those days. Uh, in which hmm. 10 unknown actresses competed for a breakout role in Saw 6. Um, the winner was actress Tanedra Howard. Uh, unknown to her, though, when she won the role, uh, Lionsgate made a public statement ensuring her that a leading role, she would have a leading role in the film, but would not elaborate further on what she would be doing. So she won a contest thinking, you know, maybe thinking that she was going to star in Saw, but uh, they made her the cold open trap, which I would argue is cooler. Cooler. Yeah. So uh, it's cool that she got, you know, to do this, you know, she won a contest to be in this movie and she got to be one of the most like, you know, intense trap scenes of the entire franchise. And she Mm. gets to show up than the next movie to have more of a, you know, a character arc. It's not yeah. a big one, but you know, but it's, it's still a little something that yeah. brings her back. I do appreciate she actually is an interesting character. Again, once we get in the weeds, uh, next episode, when we get into the fucking, uh, counseling groups, I hope you're ready for that, by the way, Danny, to talk for fucking it's tens of minutes about that. It's going to be a solid, 10 15 minutes just about um, that one scene try 30 minutes <laughs> i oh, promise i'll try Lordy. to keep it concise okay. but everything i say is going to be important <laughs> unlike every other mm-hmm. time i speak um anyway though sh- she has an interesting role to play in that uh dynamic because unlike the other people in the group or other survivors as we'll see uh who are if not completely respondent to jigsaw you know, his test, like Amanda, or at least, um, you know, mm. cognizant of the message, you know, that they they came out the other side reborn and better for the experience. Everyone except mm. for that woman believes that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. why throw the monkey wrench, uh, Miss Howard? Like, <laughs> why? I mean, she clearly stands out, but I'm like, oh, why? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, back to Saw 6. So... It starts yes. out, again, like the last one, right where the last movie left off, with Hoffman emerging mm-hmm. from the glass coffin, uh, alternatively called the Hoffman or the Hoffman Coffin. Uh, <laughs> pick, uh, choose whichever one you like. <laughs> I think I'm going to the Hoffman. The Hoffman is really, I do really like the Hoffman. <laughs> it's fun, quick, and concise. I love yeah. it. Anyway, so I always enjoy the previously on Saws that they've started doing in the latter half of this franchise. Yeah. Uh, and I really hope they continue, if they continue the movies, that they do that. They just give you a quick refresher of, you know, like, hey, this is what happened in 7. This is how Jigsaw didn't happen. You know, here's where we're at right now. Here's. Um, yeah. But it's just interesting uh, the way they decide, you know, like, where they could go if, if they do want to continue at all. So. Um, like I said before, this movie has a lot to deal with the uh, health care uh, system in this country. Uh, it does yes. not approve of uh, its practices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is probably the most open political Saw movie. It is. It, I, would argue. I would say this and Seven have a lot more of a message. Although in Seven, it's just... Yeah. I'm going to kill you guys because you're racist. And that was it. And I was mm-hmm. like, 
I don't need another reason, but like, fuck Jigsaw. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in this one, it's. I think it was very. I'm really surprised how quickly this one came around with that because the big leading up to it was Obamacare, which granted in was a big aspect in the 2008 yeah. election. But I was really intrigued, especially coming at it after the fact, at how much it talks about the healthcare system and how openly it does for this kind of movie. Well, and it has a lot to say, not necessarily about universal healthcare and how it's a benefit. It has a lot more to say. Again, like, even when it's being quote unquote political, it doesn't kind of choose a side. It just kind of you know, shows people like, hey, is like I have a note later that I think this movie probably has like it sparked the most moral debate between people that went to go see it. Yeah. Because it was like, okay, yes, maybe um Jigsaw's, you know, maybe he's wrong. Maybe that this is not a way to test somebody. But all of his tests mm-hmm. do kind of show the hypocrisy in a way of the, you know, the healthcare system in that all of the traps are designed yeah. to kind of, you know, if you use that, you know, the, the insurance care is like golden rule. Uh, you should be able to make all these decisions. But you obviously in reality, when you have mm-hmm. to actually make those decisions face on and real people's lives are, you know, in front of you, lose, you know, you're you're playing with people's lives you see that mm-hmm. a lot more and you see that, you know, it's not so simple. It's not as simple as just a signature and then a dismissive, kind yeah. of, you know, get out of my office. This is real people's lives. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, I didn't really think about that until I rewatched it this time. And I'm glad because I kind of used to dismiss Saw 6 just as gory as fuck, <laughs> which it mm-hmm. is. It is very violent. It is. But it does have a lot to say. Well, yeah, and, like, I love that in one of the scenes where John meets the guy who came up with the insurance plan, he, yeah, when he meets ultimately William, yeah. uses his own catchphrase. He just goes, so in a way, you choose who lives and who dies, which is ultimately what John tries to let people do decide on mm-hmm. their own. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting dynamics between the two of them. Because, you know, you know, William Easton clearly doesn't, he's not necessarily an evil man, I would think. He mm-hmm. just kind of is out of touch. Uh, he's, he, I would say yeah. he's better than a lot of the, like, all of the co-workers that are fucking there. Um, because he believes, like, he's like, agree. well, you know, this is just how we do it. He kind of doesn't, he tr- he elects to ignore the human aspect of it because it makes him uncomfortable because, you know, he's mm-hmm. been told like, this is how things should work. So I think, you know, he's let less evil as in more that he's just, he's out of touch and that's kind of made him bad. Uh, Cause initially yeah. I had a note that I'm like, Oh, it's like saw versus American psycho. But now I'm not so sure because it's not as crass, especially with the way mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not dealing with money. It's not dealing with something that's not human at all. It is dealing with insurance, which is dealing with humans. So it inherently is a little yeah. bit more human in its and how maybe that's why it's so evil. It's because it's less corporate. It's just like it looks for human, very specific ways to fuck with you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, the insurance company is called Umbrella Health. That's not suspicious. 
We love a Resident Evil reference. It, it certainly was. You you think so? Like that it was definitely on purpose. It has to because I kind of love that. Like if it is. <laughs> the the logo on there. It has to be right. Reference. There's no way they I didn't know. They could have made it an umbrella. Like and you know like okay obviously insurance umbrellas protect things. Insurance protects. I can kind of see that. Mm-hmm. But then make it... And again, like the joke I made, always got to be shady. Always got to be shady. That's never going to go away. But you do bring up a good point. Once you once you make the logo kind of the umbrella, like corporation logo, you've, you're just being a Resident Evil. Yeah, there's no way around it. You have to know what you're doing at that point. Did you point. watch this with Drew? And if so, did he pick up on that? I haven't watched it with Drew, but I really to see want if he to. Goes, oh, umbrella. <laughs> yeah, because he's he just finished two and now he's on oh, his way to three. So, and and so we I'm watched really four with him <laughs> in the middle of the night. Uh, we watched out of context. Was, it was the other campaign of two. It was fantastic. It was the what? I thought it was four. So there's two different campaigns to two. I think that's what he was telling. No, me no, 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 no. I was talking about like. So we, you're talking the games. I thought you. Oh. I thought he was. You said that he was watching the the movies. Oh yeah, no, he's watched a couple of the movies right. with me. I think he watched. Yeah, four well, we watched. We all watched four, four together because that was like this is the worst movie yeah. to just start on. <laughs> okay, but yes, I would say I would think that he's primed and ready to uh, get. He's primed and ready to receive uh, umbrella, like just to notice. Yes. notice that it's weird. Um. So they do this in the next movie as well, but I love the way that they introduce everyone that's going to be in the trap early in the movie, and then they show them up. Yeah. Like, it's kind of Wizard of Oz-esque, where like you see these people, and they normally have like a line or some sort of reference to a thing that's like going to be their trap later. Like Nightmare on Elm Street does the same mm-hmm. exact thing with the kids' dreams. Yeah. It's just like... Here's this kid before they die. Here's how they're probably going to die. Forget about them until later. Um, but it's kind of interesting yeah. because it shows, and it's the exact process. It's like the first person he deals with, or well, it's not in this, but in 7, it's the, going by the people that talk to him. That's the order that he goes and he rescues them in. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting into his trap. So obviously William Easton, the insurance man, is uh, fucked up. His whole company is kind of predatory in that they will, uh, you pay, obviously it's insurance, you pay for it every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and in theory, it's supposed to, you don't, you know, when you, when you get sick, if that ever happens, all that money you've been paying on the policy, you know, that's the money that you spend on when you're sick. Now, uh, yeah. where this insurance company and other insurance companies get horrible is uh, you pay all this money, you pay all this money, you pay all this money, especially for like a quote-unquote good plan, you pay a lot of money. Um, and then mm-hmm. when you get cancer, like John did, uh, the insurance company goes, we're not going to give you your money to pay for that. So like they're yep. just kind of going, you go fuck yourself. So William Easton, who is the gentleman who invent, he said he invented a formula for just like how to like get people to like, you know, like how to determine people's value. And I'm, I'm just asking Zach because I'm like, Zach is an actuary and like they, that is what an actuary mm-hmm. does. Okay. So, uh, William Mason, why he's there, what the mm-hmm. issue is. So 
in the, uh, you know, while he's creating his theory of uh, how he's going to cover people insurance-wise, mm-hmm. um, he, according to John Kramer, neglects a very important piece of the human puzzle in that it is the will to live. Yeah. Uh, he believes that as an insurance agent, he doesn't uh, believe that when the chips are down and someone is going through treatment, that they won't actually come up with the strength and actually survive. Uh, because the mm-hmm. insurance company deems you know the investment of money is just a waste if they're just going to die. So how he's going to t- be tested is it's going to be John proving to him that he's wrong by mm-hmm. uh, using... William Easton's, you know, company, like his his work is his colleagues as um test subjects for his theories. Mm-hmm. Namely the first trap in this whole you know, carnival of horror is uh, yeah. the hold your breath trap. <laughs> Which seems yeah. pretty easy in actuality. I mean, I I don't mm. know how great John's sensors could be. Uh but essentially it's um there's the William Easton and his uh, janitor. Unfortunately, he's just the janitor. Uh, our... Yeah, yeah, that one's the one in this movie that really I don't understand. You know, maybe this guy was a criminal in addition to smoking when he knew it was bad for him. Okay, just shut up. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I, I don't know, man. Just what do you want from me? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the hold your breath trap that you're, these two gentlemen are in vices that are going to crush them, uh, should they inhale, uh, oxygen through an oxygen mask. Um, mm-hmm. so the object is to, uh, hold your breath longer than the other individual so that they get crushed first. Now, William yes. Easton obviously is at an advantage. He's a younger, healthier man. Mm-hmm. The uh, janitor is at a disadvantage because uh, he has a history of emphysema, smoking, heart problems, lung problems. So this guy just kind of gets executed because he was a smoker. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you want from me, man? It's all sex. Just fucking get over it. <laughs> hey, it's it's it wasn't John's best work. Like, just fucking get over it. Just okay. Maybe just he okay. also was shitty, okay? You don't know. Yeah. So, the trap plot, as a whole, takes place in an abandoned zoo, and isn't that fucking terrifying? That, that, every time I forget about it until I'm watching that movie, I'm like, this is both really cool and would be absolutely horrifying to walk through. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, especially, like, it's the next movie that is a, uh, asylum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or, like, a medical facility, but, um... Yeah, man, this one's a zoo. It's fucking scary. Especially because you don't really see that it's a zoo until, like, as he goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like in the next one, in the barbed wire noose trap. Yeah. The so barbed wire noose trap is pretty much self-explanatory. It's his uh, secretary and, uh, I think, an intern of some sort mm-hmm. uh, are... Uh, involved they're suspended by barbed wire no- no- nooses that are going to slit their throats open should they uh, fall off of the itty bitty little pedestal they're standing on pedestals mm. that are uh chained or they are controlled by a uh, hooked like or chained you know 
levers. Chain handles with chains. Yeah, yeah. That if the chain is released, the pedestal goes bye bye, and so does the person hanging from it. Mm-hmm. So William's job is to grab these and uh, let go of one of them, and he has to make the decision based on his method, which would say that the younger uh, individual should get coverage because they're less likely to get sick, while the older woman should not get coverage because she's more li- liable to die. Now, flipped and reversed. He has said, okay, choose which one of them dies. The young, healthy guy, as you said, should get coverage, but doesn't have any family that would care about him if he died. The older woman, who shouldn't get coverage, has a lot of family that will miss her should she die. Mm-hmm. So William... And I think it's interesting that he's one of the few people that actually learns from the experience as he's going along. Yeah. He does kind of see, like, you know what? Yes, I was wrong. This is something that matters. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm not someone that can make these decisions. No one can make these decisions. No one should have yeah. to make these decisions. Uh, so intercut with the uh you know especially because william easton is someone that met john kramer a long time ago we get mm-hmm. flashbacks as he's remembering uh things john wants him to remember and we get even more evidence that john even back before he became you know before he lost gideon and before he had the brain tumor uh he still had a lot of the same ideologies before his transformation to the jigsaw uh, yeah. Which is interesting uh, to think about, especially when it comes to someone like me. So I guess I'm just a brain tumor away from becoming Firefly from the Arkham Asylum games. Oh my god. <laughs> so just keep that in mind, should I ever get a brain tumor. Mate, please don't get a brain tumor. <laughs> I w- don't want to. Uh, so as we kind of talked about before, uh, I feel like this movie probably sparked the most conversation after it was over among the people that watched it uh more so than the others that may have come before it because it's an easy way to debate the morals that saw brings up Mm -hmm. uh and again even if it's not jigsaw's personal morals it's the morals brought up you know by this scenario you know should someone who is less likely to get sick get health insurance but someone who gets sick a lot has a lot of people that depend on them and love them and will miss them if they die. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, John has one of the flashbacks is him talking about how, um, in some cultures, uh, people only pay doctors when they're healthy, um, instead of when they're sick so that they never pay for anything that they need. Um, so like all of these times that we're supposed to, you know, we're watching these scenes, uh, like, John's right, but like, yeah. yeah, he's still Jigsaw, but he's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, after you know he he's going through all of these traps. The next one is the uh, steam maze. Uh, yeah, not one of my favorites, just because it's it seems kind of rushed and borderline unwinnable, depending on the time that you finish it. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those where I feel like there's just too much going on. Mm-hmm. So you have, I absolutely agree. You have a whole, you know, obviously a steam maze is, uh, you know, there's the only way to pass through certain areas is to turn a pressure nozzle so that the super hot steam burns uh, one person as opposed to the other to allow them to pass through. 
So uh, William Easton is guiding his lawyer through this maze so that once she gets out, the key that she needs to unlock, the uh, spear gun thing mounted on her, uh, mm-hmm. the key is inside of William Easton. So she gets out of the maze with like maybe 12 seconds to spare. So she has an extra five seconds to see and comprehend where the key is and what she needs to do. And then about mm-hmm. maybe seven seconds to actually try to remove it. Uh, it's just, I'm like, yeah. fuck, man, you guys were doomed. Yeah. Well, and they, because they also got through it fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't have too many hassles on the way through the maze. No, William, unlike Jeff, makes decisions very quickly. Yeah. Uh, William doesn't have, I mean, he thinks, but, like, it's him truly being torn between one or the other yeah uh but when he makes a decision he commits to it um it's kind of admirable for a saw yeah for a saw protagonist now we get to talk about my favorite trap this movie's best trap probably one of the best traps or at least most identifiable in the entire franchise right up there with the reverse bear trap is the carousel Mm -hmm. the shotgun carousel so it's okay so it's one of the movie's posters um that poster is the case of my phone currently uh it's fucking it's so cool it's very very simple in its approach it's the most um intricately shot it's the most it's just got the coolest it's fucking awesome okay it's a shotgun carousel Mm -hmm. so it's also a signature trap because it has six people it's a six, you know, saw six. And fuck, does it look cool when those lights come up? Yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, to set that scene, William Eason is, you know, he's he's retrieving all of these keys after these tests to unlock explosive uh, collars on his wrists and ankles. And as he, you know, he's moving through them, he's, you know, he knows that he's done the last one. And, you know, there's a big door with a big spiral painted on it. And uh, mm-hmm. he can hear screaming from the inside. He kind of identifies them as the uh, the six insurance agents that he has in his uh, employ. Who's, the dog pit. Yeah. Their job is to find uh, holes in, in insurance policies so they can drop people from coverage. It's like their job mm-hmm. to just be shitty. Yeah. So he opens the doors. The lights have the lights come up and you know they just reveal this trap so fucking well like look it up on youtube if you can like you know you don't have to watch them die but like just look at the introduction of this trap it's so interesting it's so cool um the thesis of it is very simple oh hi (laughs) drew the thesis of it is very simple there are six people on the carousel only three can get off or two. Only two can get off. Thank you. How are they going to die, Danny? They're going to get shot point blank by a shotgun unless William puts his hand in a device where it will be um, pierced through the middle of the hand. Yeah, it like breaks one and, of his fingers or something. Yeah, and he can only do that twice because that's the amount of hands he's got. But the shotgun will continue to shoot until it is empty. Yeah, it doesn't matter. 
So when he uses them, or is, if he doesn't yeah, use all of them, it is a definite that four people are going to die. Minimum mm-hmm. four people are going to die. It is up to him if anyone is going to survive at all. It's up to him who gets to survive. Yep. And it's a cage, so they can see him very clearly. He can see them very clearly. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have time to debate this because the carousel starts moving and mu- it yeah, and it's musical chair style. So the gun randomly so it, they stop in front of the gun, you know, random person. Mm-hmm. And they have about 10 seconds to plead their case enough to William Easton so yeah, that while he it's loading. Yeah, while it's loading. Uh, so, you know, if, if he chooses to save them, a, he presses the button, his finger gets pierced, the shotgun points up, shoots into the air, you know, leaves the person unharmed, and then, you know, the carousel spins again. If he does not pierce his hand, uh, they just get shot, and they fucking die. And then it keeps moving. And, uh, it sounds the most badass, it sounds the kind of scariest, it's also just like the most emotionally scarring. Yeah. Like hardcore. Like even to survive that trap like, is tr- is one of the most traumatic experiences. Even just I like the think. music is a fucking bummer. Like at the end of yeah. it. Cuz every single time someone gets shot or, you know, you get to that inevitable period where, you know, everyone has been saved and you are like you know, next, so you're not getting saved, so it's just a matter of time before you die. Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes a huge factor. Um, this is the whole thing, it it just leaves you very kind of like, fuck. Yeah. Like a lot of people just died very quickly and very horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned before that William Easton is a trap protagonist that we think does learn from this test. Yeah. Like, he very quickly sees that the rules are binding only if they factor in the will to live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, he, John is, you know, he kind of agrees with pretty much every other thing that William believes. Unfortunately, John says, okay, well, you can judge who lives and who dies, but you need to take all things into consideration and reward mm-hmm. it when you can. Um,. So, I, I mean, that kind of does it for the trap plot before we get into the spoiler territory, but... Yes. I I mean, you mentioned that this was another one of your favorites, or not your favorite completely. Yeah. Did yeah, this have anything this to do with that? I really think it does, because I think that um, William is my favorite of all of the protagonists in the series, because he does actually progress throughout a lot of the protagonists and i'm i may not exactly be able to um, phrase this in a way where it's not controversial i think a lot of the protagonists don't really change all that much throughout despite going through all of these trials but william is the first one where each of them you can see the mental and physical toll it is taking on him to make each and every one of these decisions despite the fact that he is willing to immediately um commit to that decision he makes yeah and seeing him with people who are very personal to him people he he basically taught he taught the dog pit to do what they do and he is seeing the repercussions that now he must dole out 
to the people. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of heartbreaking to watch him go through it. Well, and he, and he's not someone that ever really, I mean, he might have thought here and there that he kind of felt like God, but mm. it didn't ever seem to correlate in his actions. I mean, he was, I mean, kind of off the bat before they, you know, like it, unless you had any doubts that William Easton was a shithead before he went into his, uh, the tests, like just like they were showing you the scenes of him just like being a shithead. Uh, mm-hmm. The last thing he does before he's kidnapped is shoot a black man. Like, he, he kills a guy that he thinks is breaking into his floor once the lights go out, and it ends up just being a security guard. So, mm-hmm. like, he's just, I think he's just shitty, but accidentally so. Like, he doesn't even, like, get that what he's doing is so terrible. And I yeah. think that's kind of the type of person that can learn from Jigsaw, is it someone that, you know, like we've talked about before, it's someone that just needs that like quick kick to make sure that they stay on the right side. Kind of mm-hmm. weirdly, so uh, like a Christmas Carol. Yeah, like yeah, I, I like, suppose you, you get you see what I mean, right? Yeah, I see what you mean. I, was, I wouldn't have expected no, that like, kind of comparison. Stake. I mean, there are yeah. stakes. The stakes are you're going to go to hell if you die. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like you're going to be ripped in half by a machine of death if you don't do this. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's the same exact like formula. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's just a little bit nicer. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my! I promise I didn't. That's not even on the script. That's just off. That's just off the cuff. <laughs> um. Anyway, where were we? Okay, so Anna Hoffman. So when John said to Hoffman in the last movie, you're like, I made a note of it earlier uh, during when they were setting up uh, Paul's trap and the razor wire maze. He's like, how do you, you know, how can you not feel when you, when you, when these people die? Like he asked John how he just doesn't feel. And uh, John tells him to not get involved. Like he, you can't be involved and emotionally there can be nothing there. When I first wrote that note down in Saw 5, I believed it. I was like, hey, that kind of doesn't make any sense because all of Saw 6 is this guy who refused John medical coverage for his cancer. Uh, You know, that's just kind of not acceptable of an answer to me. I'm like, you would be so hypocritical. Um, But now I don't think that it's such, you know, he's so hypocritical. Because That's not it's thing. just that he knows the person is corrupt. And mm-hmm. in the tapes, he doesn't say, you fucked up my life, here's why you're here. It's about how terrible they are to everyone else. And, you know, it's not about him. Which I think is justification for it. Um, I think I lost you. If you kept talking, we're all good. I did. I actually did keep talking. I wanted to make sure. So this part we can edit out also, but, um, Mm -hmm. uh, so I think in regards to their experience, because he did kind of warn him about the, you know, the the type of human will live thing. Uh, I don't think that his, him using William as a test subject is him getting involved emotionally or him, you know, it's, it's someone that he knew either way, because truly it's, it's more just like he, was also shitty to a lot of other people. 
Mm-hmm. So anytime that Jigsaw has tested anyone close to him, like with Art, the lawyer, it was like, yeah, you fucked, or like I, we had this relationship, but you also were a shitty lawyer, and that's why you're being yeah. tested. So I think the only personal angle of, you know, John introducing himself on the tape instead of Billy with, with William is because mm-hmm. they knew each other and because the lesson that John wants William to learn is, hey, remember when I told you about the human will to live? I'm telling you it works. You need to take it seriously. And now with him kind of showing up and being like, hey, I'm serious. Learn this. Um, that's kind of the point of him stepping in as a personal role, not as like a I told you so sort of thing, but more as like a hey, I want to teach you something. Mm-hmm. Um, shifting gears slightly to the FBI, uh, Erickson and Agent Perez are back. And boy, yeah. are they positive that Hoffman is Jigsaw. Well, yeah, and lest we forget, Perez, the last time we saw her, had shards of Billy in her face. Yeah, I mean, we were led to believe that she was dead, especially during that scene in 5 where there's just a bloody hospital bed where she was. Yeah. Uh, but they were investigating the um, Saw Five trap plot people, which is why that John chose to make them make it look like it was John, make it look like it was drama and accomplice. That note makes sense to me. I'll explain it. So, uh, so Strom and Agent Perez are delegated to the Jigsaw case in Saw Four. We know chronology wise that's just during Saw Three, Saw Four times. So mm-hmm. they are called in because like, hey. Jigsaw's a big deal. We also think that someone else might be involved. The reason that uh, those people, like Strom and Agent Perez, were being targeted by Jigsaw is because they like they were being used at all, is that they were investigating the cover-up, the insurance cover-up of the people from Saw 5's trap plot. They they were gonna burn down all these buildings and then like land development deal. So the FBI was investigating that, and uh, that's also why John was able to, you know, make plans for Strom to be the uh, framed accomplice. So it wasn't all mm-hmm. just Hoffman, you know, acting on a dime to make Hoffman, just to make Strom look like he was guilty. Um, so John was just helping him along the way. He boosted him. Uh-huh. Uh so Hoffman is now the antagonist that we follow. Clearly he has been since five, but, uh, yes. I don't know about everybody else watching it, but I really didn't want him to get caught. So the FBI, <laughs> the, like the FBI is on his ass, you know, like very, making it very obvious. They know that he's jigsaw. So, you know, mm-hmm. that first try, the cold open trap is discovered and, uh, Strom has taken, not Strom, Hoffman has taken Strom's severed hand from when he crushed him in that room and has used them to leave mm-hmm. fingerprints at the scene to kind of further solidify that Strom is Jigsaw. However, yeah. um, the FBI are not convinced. They are like, mm, we don't, we're not really sure. Uh, because there's, there's this, this chemical that's, uh, that's, that's not on the, uh, the fingerprints and it's only kind of, um, it only kind of shows up when the person whose fingerprints you're using are uh, alive. So we know that Strom is dead. So And Hoffman's just sitting there like, mm, interesting, interesting theory. Just keeping his cool no matter what. His poker face is perfect in the face of them straight up looking at him wide-eyed like, buddy, we know it's you. Like, 
be honest with us here. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, that scene, uh, speaking of the hospital, when they go to meet with the survivor of the pound of flesh trap, that woman, she's sitting there with, you know, the remains of her arm in a sling. And uh, mm-hmm. Hoffman's, like, kind of interviewing her. And, like, just his, like, ham-fisted, did you learn your lesson? It's just so stupid. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's not his that's not his brightest moment. <laughs> he's just like, hmm? Hmm. It's definitely well, not me, but it's did great because she looks at him and she's like, Are you fucking insane? Look at my arm. What did I learn from yeah. this? And he's like, uh and like oh, Kaufman, you you're much more of a doer. You're not really more of a speaker. <laughs> yeah, Hoffman, don't talk. That's like, not your stuff. Just, just do your job. So, uh, (laughs) there's even more evidence that Jill is still very much in love with John. And, uh, I think it's the perfect hint that she is, uh, now confirmed in this movie. Definitely an accomplice. Surprise, not surprise, Red Hearing is actually a blue, and she's helping John. Is anybody (laughs) surprised? Because I wasn't. As soon as she showed up, and they were like, oh, here's everything you need to know about John. I'm like, oh, so how involved are you, Jill? Um... Um... So we get, and I say that now because we finally get to see what was in the box that Jill got in the last movie, uh, and it solidifies her as an accomplice. Because, again, it's also where I kind of got into the weeds by myself, where we know that Jill is helping John. Mm-hmm. We don't know how much or in what extent she's helping John. Is she helping yes. John or is she helping Jigsaw? Because Hoffman is helping Jigsaw. Amanda was helping Jigsaw. You know, people yeah. that are, you know, former test subjects help Jigsaw. I don't know if Jill was helping further Jigsaw's legacy in terms of completing his work or if she was helping John to end his work because, hey, he started this, but I love him. And for his sake, I'm going to try to end this for him. And uh, I don't know the answer to that question. And no one asked me that question, but uh, that was it. <laughs> so, in addition to, you know, the box, uh, Jill is a little bit more involved than we've seen before because she goes to talk to Hoffman, uh, you know, the reason that she, you know, that Hoffman is talking to her at all is because... You know, he's kind of just telling her, I'm in charge now. Whatever mm-hmm. John told you in the past, however involved you are, it doesn't matter because I'm in charge of this now. Um, and the whole scene that they do that in is fucking great. And it's one of the main reasons I want an accomplice movie, like from their perspectives. That would be so cool. Like, I, wa- I love the dynamic that they set up in this movie. And we get a little bit more of it in the next one, too. But it's just so mm. cool to see them talk to each other. Um, especially in the scene, especially in the, it was in the last movie with, um, Amanda and Hoffman when they were setting up the rack, just like mm-hmm. the two different types of people that would follow Jigsaw for two completely different reasons. Um, it's yeah. just, it's pretty sweet. And, uh, I can't talk about that note. That's for the next movie, but, um, <laughs> Jigsaw, not John going to see Jill to reveal what his new mission is, is such a great mm-hmm. scene. Uh, Jill is still working at the clinic, um, and this is after she hasn't seen John for a while. It's 
it's uh, after he started his work. It's very recently after he's gotten Amanda. Um, because he goes to show, he shows up at her clinic and she's like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in a while. And he's like, hey, I know I haven't been around. I apologize for that. But listen, what have I always been saying? Cherish your life, all this stuff. My method, now I can prove, works. And I brought proof. And Amanda shows up, someone that Jill has known. You know, last time Jill saw Amanda, she was a junkie. She was, you know, hanging out with Cecil. She's a drug addict. Here she mm-hmm. is, clean, sober, um, in John's words, you know, like kind of put together for the first time in her life. And yeah. even she says that it works. Also, when she shows up, the baptism theme starts again. And I'm just like, oh, fuck, man, we brought it back. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And just what she says, her only line of dialogue is very simple, but it's great. And it's so poignant of just very simply just it works. It's real. Mm-hmm. He helped me. Yeah. Uh, and it's also where John gets one of his best uh, quotes of the franchise um, when he's, you know, kind of beseeching Jill to, to agree with him. He says, once you see death up close, then you know what the value of life is. And that's my way. Damn. I think it's just, in my opinion, very commendable that a character that you have been building for eight for now six movies uh and who has a very dynamic and and, an intricate uh background to to why he does what he does Mm -hmm. for those morals to never change or waver much and Mm -hmm. to only get more and more like compounded and like you know uh legitimized i think it's just so awesome like across the board they've written jigsaw as an airtight person who has definite reasons for why he believes says and acts the way that he says believes and acts yeah absolutely okay so more flashbacks uh they show that hoffman and amanda uh clearly didn't get along and uh john yeah this is during that scene when they're when they're uh setting up the rack um, mm-hmm. you know, Amanda brings John in as uh Hoffman is supposed to be loading Timothy Young into the the rack. Mm-hmm. And he's like futzing with parts of the machinery and John just fucking with Hoffman being like, "Hey, if you're going to do that, you need to like recalibrate the gears and all that shit." And they're just like, "Hoffman, don't touch the like the adults are working here. You're just here to go get yeah. the bodies <laughs> and bring them back and put them in the thing." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um again, I'm like just give me a jigsaw and his disciples movie fucking immediately. <laughs> like yeah, I just want like That a, would be really good. I want like a National Lampoon's Family Vacation movie, but it's John Hoffman, Jill <laughs> and Amanda and they're just yes. like trying to get shit done and Hoffman is just like him and Amanda are in the back seat fighting and he's like I swear to god, I'm not leaving my legacy with you two fucking idiots. <laughs> um so in that same scene john goes out and calls hoffman on his brutality which is a new one for hoffman we i i there's not been a lot of evidence that shows that he's that type of person uh but i mean man if he is he's i think just shown immense amounts of uh restraint up to this movie 
And I think what Costas said originally about Hoffman is true. Maybe it's the fact that he now has all of these, like he's got this power now that that's fucking with him. Because truly Hoffman should be the perfect jigsaw successor because he's level-headed and believes in the mission. And if, yeah. if not for his own reasons, mm-hmm. but you know, he's a cop, he's a part of a machine. He's not an in charge person. Um, and he might see himself as someone that can, uh, even if he can't, but, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, especially because John clearly planned for Hoffman to not be able to know what to do with all that power because he yeah. gives Jill, uh, he tells her that he's ensured a way out for her. Um, and I'm sure it has something to do with the uh, package that she dropped off somewhere that we can't see. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also just interesting because uh, he gives her the key to the box, like in another flashback where she just goes to visit him after he has Amanda. Uh, I think it's when they're setting up. It's like right after they set up two. Yeah. Because he was already a wheel in a wheelchair at this point, uh, mm-hmm. but um, they go and you know she's just kind of like, please don't do this, and he's like, hey, I know you may not agree with me, but this is something that I have to do. You know, I love you. And then he gives you the key to the box that he's going to eventually will to her and says that she'll know what to do with it when the time comes. So mm-hmm. on both sides of the board, neither John nor Jill ever stopped loving one another, which I think is interesting yes. because it's not a complete, you know, retcon that, you know, like it's something that feasibly worked because originally John didn't talk about his wife because Jigsaw had to focus. So, you know, he never talked about his wife. Once we found out about her, she didn't want to talk about her husband because her husband was a serial killer. But as we learn more and more about them, you know, outside of the interview room, we learned that they truly kept coming back to each other. And it was just mm-hmm. because of the disconnect of the two of them were getting over how their son died differently they had to be on the same page because they went through the same loss and they still loved each other but john was off doing jigsaw things and jill was just living her normal life mm-hmm. um I, don't know. I just think that there's a lot like again there's several like you know soap opery you know plot points across this franchise and this is one that i think is actually kind of interesting is normally, you know, in a horror franchise, we don't know a lot about the killer's, like, family, like, it's positive relationships, or he doesn't have any of them at all. So it's interesting that in such a notorious franchise like this one, you know almost everything about the the antagonist uh, to the point that you're supposed to empathize with him several times, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, John's written that way. He's written to be empathetic he's written to be someone that you would agree with i mean look at fucking me (laughs) yeah true yeah but um anyway so i referenced before the fbi was like not buying what offman was selling uh Mm. the strom frame job immediately falls flat on the fbi Um, oh yeah like mark hoffman he thought he had this in the bag he did not have it in the bag it was out oh. of the bag. It was gone. It was fucking not even close. Um, mm-hmm. And with that, I think it's a good moment to start warning about spoilers. Spoiler territory yeah, is on the horizon. Let's get into some spoiler talk. Uh, I think we've talked about every plot beat of this movie up to the point that the twist comes in. 
because they all happen about the same time. So a lot of these things might have seemed like kind of cut off in mid-thought, but it's because I can't talk about them all the way until we spoil it. So mm. obviously the FBI all but knows that Hoffman is the Jigsaw killer. They mm. just don't have any evidence and don't want to confront him until they have evidence that they yeah. know that they have. So Hoffman won't slip slip away. Mm-hmm. So they've kind of they've called him to the uh like the forensics lab where they're um digitally reassembling the Seth Baxter tape, the uh mm-hmm. the his first jigsaw killing that he framed Jigsaw for when in reality he just killed Seth Baxter, the guy that murdered his sister. So the tape yeah. was distorted, but obviously if you undistort it, you'll hear Hoffman talking. So uh, the FBI is just waiting for them to unscramble it so that they can just nail Hoffman's ass. And the yep. second that they unravel it, uh, Hoffman uses a tiny, tiny little pocket knife and hot coffee to um, execute three professional FBI agents. Um, I think an extra two on his way out uh, before setting the entire facility on fire and walking away like he just doesn't give a fuck. Because, I mean, Hoffman murdering people, like him, himself, not as Jigsaw, mm-hmm. him murdering people is probably the scariest thing these movies have oh. had in a long time. Absolutely. He just fucking doesn't give a fuck. Not even a little bit. Hoffman just, oh, he rips up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last thing, I mean, once he knifes Prez in the chest a hundred times... Uh, yeah, true. He asks her who knows about him, and she says everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his secret is out, and to make matters worse, Jill, who we're starting to see that her role as John's kind of confidant is to kind of be a uh, a checks and balances system for his protégés, mm-hmm. uh, because Jill puts him in a fucking reverse bear trap. That, a new a reverse new bear trap, too. That John obviously had specifically built for her because it was also in the box that he willed her. Mm-hmm. Um, which would have honestly been awesome if he died in this yeah. one. Yeah. Because I kind of can absolutely see where he could have died here and it would have ended. Or he lives and they end that movie... And the whole plot of Saw 7 is him up through the whole movie just before the last 10 minutes of 7. And then those last 10 minutes of 7 up to how 7 ends should be its own full movie. Yeah. Um, I was getting that more and more as I was into this whole part. I'm like, they could absolutely make three more movies right now. Mm -hmm. Just because they have so much shit. Yeah, true, 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 true. So yeah, clearly uh, I say seven because no, you heard me right. Hoffman doesn't die in the reverse bear trap. He finds ah. a way to just rip it off of his face before it can tear him open. Well, but lest we forget that before he does that, um, the way he's able to make it so it can't just immediately open up his jaw is he breaks the glass that leads to barred windows Mm -hmm. so he can get it stuck between two bars, rip his cheek out so he can maneuver his way out of the trap. It's like Strom in Saw 5 level of ingenuity. 
Like, it's truly yeah. impressive to behold. Like, even if you were someone that wanted to see Hoffman die, or just anyone who wanted to see the reverse bear trap kill somebody, mm-hmm. you have to admire that he just said, fuck no. Because she was going to yeah. execute him. She just, there was no key. You know, you, this thing couldn't be unlocked, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just pulled it off of him. And uh, the movie ends there. He just, it's him yeah. with his cheek ripped open screaming mm-hmm. um but on the trap plot end so the whole time that william easton has been going through these tests uh he has been told that if he does not complete his tests under a certain amount of time he will never see his family again mm-hmm. intercut with all of this the trap plot scenes we see um a mother and her teenage son the teenage son is played by the kid that plays roger so you see him a lot in the movie, and uh, we are led to believe that these people are William Easton's family. Uh, they even allude to the fact that they are, quote, here because of the kid's father. Mm-hmm. So it's very much put out there to be that they are his family. Conversely, another person has been trapped, and, the, and they can see what's going on the whole time they're mm-hmm. there. They have yeah, cameras. They have cameras and tvs and they have a lever that says live and die on opposite ends and it's linked Mm -hmm. to a large vat of acid and uh, the the lever doesn't do anything yet so they're just very confused as to what's happening yeah so on the other end another person that is trapped in same situation as them on the just the other end they they can't see her uh but she is a law not a lawyer a uh, reporter reporter who uh, wrote a book on john kramer uh she's kind of the like the, the reporter that's been on the jigsaw case the whole time she's kind of the expert mm-hmm. um and she's been hounding jill tuck uh for various reasons um mm-hmm. and uh, hoffman kind of believes hoffman slash john uh had a belief that she was gonna find out the truth about them so i there's a that was one main reason she was you know involved in a, tra- in a trap at all it's also because um, she is William Easton's sister. She's his only mm-hmm. family. The family that is there is the family of the man that we saw in the introduction to William Easton, him denying a man health care. That man then exited the room to tell his family that he was now going to die from the, uh, I think it cancer or something. He had some uh, tumor or something. Yeah, it was something I think cancerous. Yeah, but he it was something that was going to kill him if he didn't have coverage, and he didn't have coverage, so he died. Mm-hmm. So his family has the opportunity to choose whether or not he will die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Roderick and his mom, this is my note, Roderick and his mom are the family of the lawsuit of the insurance guy is dealing with. His sister is the reporter, and he gets fucking melted. Melted. The the uh, acid is hooked up to a series of large, like hypodermic needle type apparatuses. Mm-hmm. That once the uh, lever is w- pulled to die, slams into William Easton, pumps him full of acid, and just turns him into jello. My favorite. This is this is a bit intense of a description, but my favorite way I've heard the, d- the description of the aftermath for William Easton is a flesh-filled sleeping bag. Yeah. That just kind of slumps to the ground yeah, yeah. at the end. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I think there's a cool line there because um, right when they kind of when William Eason is realizing it's not his game that it's it's a test for this family, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a tape for the mom explaining you know like this is why you're here. I'm sorry about this, but you know we're giving you the chance to get back at him. Um, and she has something that kind of stuck with me where she tells him you know she's gonna go pull the lever to die. And she tells him, you know, the reason I'm doing this is not because of what you did to me. It's because I couldn't forgive myself that you do it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, I think that's just so dark. And that's such like, you know, in line with the type of dark emotional vibes this movie goes, like places this movie goes to. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the same thing I say about um, the movie Prisoners which is a really good crime movie that you and I are going to watch one day because it totally inspired Bernie. I can't wait to watch it. But that one has something similar where you're normally used to watching crime movies that kind of have a very similar feel. But cause in, So instead of it scaring you uh, and making you sad because something sad happens, it makes you just feel empty inside. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very similar where it's not like, yeah, man, I'm going to kill you because you killed my dad. It's like, I'm going to kill you because you are a monster. You're truly a yeah. monster. And, you know, I just, you, you could, I could care less about your life. Mm-hmm. So he ends up getting fucking melted. And, uh, that's it for him. Yep. However, that is the end of William Easton. There is one last thing I would like to say. So, like I said before, the reporter was kind of hounding Jill Tuck for an interview. She said she had something mm-hmm. big. Uh, Jill goes to tell Hoffman about this. She's like, hey, this reporter, I think, knows something. And I think that's the reason Hoffman ends up jumping at the chance to put her in the trap. But she doesn't tell her how she knows that. So one of the last things that uh, Pamela Jenkins, the reporter, does before she's kidnapped by Hoffman is she uh, leaves um, Jill a photocopy of something uh, that was found at the crime scenes, uh, you know, the Saw 3 and Saw 4 crime scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she leaves him and before Jill hooks up, you know, she ambushes Hoffman. She leaves him, uh, that what she received from Pamela. It's a photocopy of the note that Hoffman wrote Amanda back in Saw 3. Mm-hmm. The end of the last movie, or no, the, the, the end of four, uh, we learned that he wrote the note, but we don't learn what it said yet. Now we learn what it said because. It's a note that tells Amanda that if she does not kill Lynn Denlin, the woman that is charged with keeping John alive in Saw 3, if she doesn't kill Lynn, that he would tell John that Amanda that was with Cecil the night that Jill lost Gideon. Now, that whole sentence out of context of Saw or said to somebody who only knows of Saw as a torture porn genre would mean absolute nothing. And I just want to take a second to admire the intricacies of that sentence and that Mm. someone that has been listening to all these episodes understood every single line of what I just said and had a response of, oh, shit. Mm. And I think that's why Saw is good. If you had that response, we did our job with this franchise. Yeah. I I, I think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that's big news. You know, um... Amanda has held on to this dark secret that she convinced Cecil to rob the clinic 
the night that, you know, he accidentally may cause Jill to miscarry. Mm-hmm. And if John ever knew Amanda did that, at least in Amanda's mind, he would never forgive her. Yeah. So obviously that threw her into a spiral of kind of insanity. And it's the main reason that, you know, she kind of did a 180 at the end of Saw 3 where she decided to kill Lynn. Mm-hmm. I think that's fucking awesome. Yeah. I also think that um, that whole exchange of Jill being the one to get one over on Hoffman, it gets you ready for what the next movie is going to bring, which yeah. is um, you like the viewer like Hoffman is pretty sure that they have a good handle on the whole picture. They've been around for a while. Hoffman's been around since Saw 2. He kind of thinks he knows what to expect from the franchise. Yes, there's a lot of twists, but if you can find yourself on the right side of those twists, you're going to stay alive. You're going to be in the know. Yeah. The sheet is about to get pulled out from under Hoffman. I mean, it just has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just was. And there's a whole movie of more of that. Yeah. So, like, you know, if, if you've hung in this far... The next movie, I mean, again, I've I've tried to find with especially with the intros, every like a new thing for each movie as to why this one is relevant above all the other ones, and I think seven mm-hmm. is going to be the most relevant so far because, like I've said with all the movies, it's taking what you know and just fucking with it, like it's just yeah. adding on another layer after like the fourth mm-hmm. or fifth time. It's flipped the script on you. It's going to do it again, and it's going to do it in a way you're not expecting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I have about Saw 7. <laughs> or Saw 6. Yeah, and that is Saw 6. Um, so you can follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach us at squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. That, reaching us, that's actually something I wanted to, to kind of touch on. Um, I know we've got a, a decent – I mean, maybe not decent – a, uh, we have listeners. There's some yeah. listeners out there. Um, listeners, clearly, uh, some of them, a handful at least, are uh, active on social media. They like the Instagram posts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie was just had it on her story the other day. Uh, I saw yeah. it. I was like, hey, man, plug for the podcast. Um, but uh, so f- this is for listeners. Um, we've already urged, like, you know, like they people want to message us about stuff that we've said. Uh, you know, like if it's helped, you know, if it's, if you've gotten you to watch any movies or whatever, or to just give us thoughts, um, you can DM us, uh, your thoughts, um, like movies that you saw or if we might've fucked up something. Yeah. But just like, feel free to DM us thoughts and we can shout you out at the end of the show. If, if you want also, if like, that's more of an incentive, we can just be like, Oh yeah. Um, you know, Steph thinks that we're a bunch of fuckers for thinking that the uh, vampires <laughs> are cooler than the lichens or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. That'd be kind of a fun way to keep things going. Because again, I have realized that my life has been so consumed by Saw the last couple of months that I'm beginning to like lose the ability to do other things. Oh no. So I need oh, more like integration from people <laughs> so like please reach out and be like hey you know what series was great halloween not saw talk about something else <laughs> um yeah so I, also i hope that this fucking editing process won't be as a bitch as it probably will be 
it's it's gonna be a fun one it's gonna be a fun one but you know five will be out soon so that'll buy people and we have again a number of bonus episodes to tie people over over. while we get to while we get six together yeah and then we're getting we're almost done we got three more a few more movies and the last one we'll be together for so we'll be back recording together which will be fantastic it'll be nice to be back together i Alrighty, that does it for us, kids. Game over. Until next time, stay spooky out there.